Okay, we shall continue on with our worship as we uh, get into the Word of God. The text uh, we're at today is um, actually a mark of what expository preaching and teaching is because this would not be a section preachers would pick to do a certain sermon about. And I kid you not, very rarely, if ever, would anybody pick this text unless they were an expositor. Um, They would not pick this to preach on because it's kind of a passage that uh, is maybe short on doctrine. It really doesn't mention much theology here. There's really not a lot of great comfort here. Not that it's discomfort. It's uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but you know, if if I didn't know that this was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and I don't take anything from him at all, I would say humanly that Paul didn't do so well on this part of the letter as compared to some of his other texts. I'm setting you up when I say that. And we know that Scripture is really ultimately from God, don't we? We know that. But the thing is, this text is difficult in the sense that Paul continues on with his defense of his apostleship, and that's really what he is really honing in on in this section even more than ever. Uh, Whenever you take the Word of God, though, as being His Word and inspired by the Holy Spirit, sometimes you have to dig in certain texts more than you would others. And I hardly recommend in digging in all passages. But sometimes there are some jewels hidden deep into the dark recesses, and we have to look deeply into this passage And if we do, we'll discover some beautiful jewels in there that are just blazing. They're they're wonderful. They're dazzling beauty. And we discover that the Word of God is is dazzling and beautiful, isn't it? And so as we look at this text, and as Paul stresses the authority of himself, as he keeps mounting his defense for the sake of the Gospel, because there have been people putting doubts into the minds of the Corinthians, and they're really starting to wonder about Paul, he has to defend the truth, and he has to defend himself because he is the one that's been presenting the truth. And Paul, I think you could say, gives us some clues here to what um, the use of spiritual authority means. And he doesn't do it in the way that a president or a CEO of a corporation would do and in their blatant uh, leadership and characteristic of being authoritarians. Matter of fact, Jesus said this, Do you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded it over them and their great men exercise authority over them? But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for the many. So that is what authority is. And that's the way that Christ defined it. I think this epistle here is really an illustration 
of exactly what Jesus just said. As we read that in the Gospels, we see that it's being lived out by people like Paul here, and especially as we look at it today. He exercises this meekness, this humility, and still yet being one who has the authority of an apostle. And so it's quite interesting to see the contrast between the meekness that Jesus defines versus the meekness or we can say the humility or really the authority of what a leader is in the world today. And then also, people like the outward things. They are drawn by outward things, whether it be sounds, whether it be sights, whether it be things that you know they, they can see that's just overwhelming and dazzling and they're taken by that. Um, the charisma of speakers, people sometimes will say, yeah, but he's a great speaker. He can be saying everything that's false. You know, it can be something that's really bad theology. And I say, man, you... and there's a, yeah, yeah. You know, what are they listening? To? Why, why aren't they detecting this, right? The flamboyant speakers, the words of academia that people will have, and people will be overwhelmed and they'll be swept away by all the... Um, the lights and the sounds and everything that people are drawn to. Um, Paul has to give a defense of himself because he is not one who's coming in there with the flashiness. He's coming in there with the Gospel. And he has to defend himself as he defends the Gospel. And it's a very hard thing for Paul to do, to be an authoritarian. Even as hard as he may seem sometimes, he's not. But he has authority when he has to have it. But he will give us a blatant example of humility here as we look at this today. And we'll also contrast that against the blatant pride of these false teachers who that were coming in and telling lies about him. And we see that Paul has a genuine sense of conviction here. And... He realizes that he's completely unworthy. He doesn't deserve God's goodness. doesn't deserve God's mercy. He doesn't deserve God's grace, does he? And we know that we certainly don't, but even Paul didn't. But you know what? He realizes that God had gifted him and he wanted to use what God had given him as he presents truth. And we see this characteristic of, and characteristics of what a true servant is. I think as we look at this, we're not going to be far removed from Paul 2,000 years ago. As we're going to look at this, we're also going to understand that we too are to have these same characteristics that Paul had. These are God's characteristics. And this is what Paul developed. This is what we develop as we learn to be servants of Christ. So let's grab our Bibles. Without further ado, and let's stand. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 7. You're looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ's, let him consider this again with himself that just as He is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up, 
and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when absent, such persons we also are indeed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere, which God apportioned to us as a measure, to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Father, thank You for Your Word as we learn about authority and humility that goes with it. May we learn to be the kind of servants that Christ spoke about, that He was, and that Paul was, and throughout church history. Help us to gain a little more insight on how the person of Christ works in our souls. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, like I said before we started, that it's... uh, it's a tough text. And this is why I have looked for a lot of commentaries in 2 Corinthians. And do you know there are not a lot of them that are really good? And I find that strange, but not a lot of people will pick 2 Corinthians unless they have been preaching for decades and they ran out of New Testament books. Really? Now we have done this once and it was a long time ago and now here we are again for the past almost year we have been in Corinthians. I never apologize for God's Word because it's all inspired. I'm just telling you, I kind of went over this text and said, okay, this is a narrative. It just runs through. Here's Paul defending himself. That's what this letter is basically about. And people are going to say, Dennis is saying the same thing he's been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. But at the same time, it's like, okay, what freshness can we get out of here? I have to dig to be able to come up with what is really there because in these deep recesses are some excellent truths. So that's what I do all week, and I wonder how am I going to present this? And uh, I just pray that this will make an impact on us, not just a story about who Paul is, but that will make uh, an effect on our own lives. And I think it will if we uh, trust in the Lord. And like I say, the uh, the apology is not for God's word. The apology is for my lack of being able to bring it out the way that I should. Okay, and so uh, we tear right into it. This is a big text. We could 
take time. The guys who did expository preaching and did commentaries on this section actually took it seven, verse 7 through verse 18. It's a big chunk. And I said, that's what I'm going to do here. I feel better doing it that way. That was a lot to read, wasn't it? It's a lot more than what we usually do. Now to go on with it here, uh, the very first one is dealing with relationship with Christ. There's nothing else. That's the best thing. Because that's where everything starts. We cannot serve anybody or for anything if it not be our relationship with Christ is our very basis. It's at the top of the charts, isn't it? This thing is at the top. The reason why anyone has any kind of characteristics of a servant of God is because they have a relationship with Christ. Now, here's why we have a difficult text. In verse 7, if you read the Greek, it can be read in different ways. And so, as I say this, I just tell you that I have a New American Standard reading, and this is one time I'm not going to agree with it. But it could be right. It could be, and it doesn't matter. It really, because anyway, it comes out. It's it's poking right at where we are to be, and that's relating with Christ as this verse goes through it. You are looking at things as they are outwardly, and it could be that, and it could very well be that. You know, you're looking at outward things rather than inward things, right? And that's the way my New American Standard reads, and that's okay. And that could be very right. You know, like, there could be an imperative here. Look at things as they really are. That's the way the Greek could be set up too. You're looking at, at, at physical things rather than spiritual things. That's one way. Or the other one is with the command, the imperative. Look at things the way that they are. You're looking at things as the way they are. Look at it. Look at this. Look what is obvious. Look what's in front of your face. In the literal Greek, it means that. Look at the way that things are. Face the facts, right? You could probably read it that way. Look at the evidence. Okay, you're gaining the way that we're heading there. So that's the way we're going to interpret it. Uh, You have the evidence right in front of your nose. Okay? Paul is saying that. Don't you get it? How could you go rushing after these false teachers and be drawn to them whenever the truth is right in front of your nose? Okay? Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 1 and 2. First Corinthians. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Now, who's he writing to here? The Corinthians. It's the same people. Different letter. Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Oh, did, did you hear that line? Have I not seen Jesus? Our... We're, we're talking about His physical eyes. He was knocked off the horse, right? In Acts 9. Haven't I seen Jesus, our Lord? He's using a little bit of uh, authority here, isn't he? Are you not my work in the Lord? Who started the church there? Paul did. Who taught him for a year and a half? Paul did. If to others I am not an apostle to these false teachers, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You're my guarantee. Look what the Lord did to you. He converted you. He changed you. And He did it 
By using me. That's what Paul's saying. I think that's a pretty good text right there, isn't it? He said that before to them. And so here he is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 saying something along the same line. You know, they all knew the story about the Damascus Road. That whole experience where he was knocked off his horse and uh, he saw the glorified Christ, didn't he? He says, how can you explain your salvation? How God used me. So he says, if I'm a false apostle then... Uh, to all those other false apostles, if I'm a false apostle, you have to remember where I came from. What God did with me, and then what He did with me, with you. So that's what He's really proclaiming here. So in in Corinthians 10, He says, look at those things. Check it out. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, that he belongs to Christ, And evidently, the false apostles were really confident in who they were. They were apostles. They had a commission from Jesus Christ. Did they really? Paul knows better. They had arrogant claims. They were lies. And it made them superior because they had a superior relationship with Christ if Paul even had one at all. Do you get the idea? And, and I will tell you, Paul is a master of sarcasm, especially the Corinthians. Some of you appreciate sarcasm, others don't. Paul use it, uses it very readily, even in this text today. And uh, some of it's kind of hidden, some of it's just up front in their face. But these ring, the ringleader or the group of the false apostles says that he belongs to Christ on what basis? Then he one is confident in himself. Well, he was confident. On what basis? On his own basis. His own personal opinion. As far as I'm concerned, I have a superior relationship with Christ. <laughs> I belong to Him. I do. Um, there's no personal record of personal communion with Christ. He didn't have, that leader didn't have anything that happened that uh, Paul happened. But uh, he says, because I say so. I have confidence. I. I have a special relationship with Jesus. I do. Paul then replies here in this text, what proof do you have? You know my conversion. You know about it. You know the Damascus Road. You know my godly life. You know my walk with Christ, how I was here every day teaching you faithfully. You know that. You know my relationship to Him. They heard Him pray. They knew His relationship with Christ was real. They knew that Christ lived in Him. Don't we want to show people that? We want to show people that Christ lives in us. That we have a relationship with Christ. Paul says, you cannot deny the fact that I had a relationship with Christ. That I have it with Him. So, a servant of the Lord has a deep relationship with the Lord. Jesus Christ. If you want to serve Christ, you have that relationship. That's the very basis for serving in the kingdom, isn't it? And if you're a Christian, you do serve. You minister. You serve. We just want to do it more though, don't we? We don't want to back off and make it less. No, we should be doing more if the Lord makes it available. If we're seeking Him, He will.
We go to verse 8. 10 verse 8. By the way, at the end of verse 7 it says, Let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. Okay, if he really belongs to Christ, I want to tell you, so do we. So what kind of lie were they saying? He's not of Christ. He doesn't have a relationship with Christ. That's really what they're saying. Now our verse 8. And this is our second characteristic of a Christian. Edifies the church. A servant builds up the church, doesn't destroy it. Verse 8, For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. Even though this sounds like boasting, Paul is saying, and you remember the song that we sang this morning, I will boast in the Lord my God. That's the boasting. And as he sums this up near the end of this section, he will say that again. And it's, you know, you think of the Jeremiah chapter 9. So, uh, the boasting is really boasting in the Lord. But he has to do this to support who he is and what, he, what he's about. Paul is he's almost like he's saying, I don't really like to use my authority if I don't have to. I don't like to flash it off. Have you ever seen people who become leaders and the first thing they do, they want to have everybody know who they are and what kind of authority they have. A new boss comes into the job and he says right away, this is the way it's going to be. And you're going to say, and you're going to do everything I say. And it's, we're going to, things are going to change here. You know, it makes it very clear who he is. Paul is saying, I don't try to use it in that way. I'm not a CEO here, okay? But I am here to build up, to edify. Oikodame means to build up. No matter what others would be saying, these Corinthians have to agree that he built them up. How can they deny that? All that time he had been with them, he poured his life into them, didn't he? They knew. They knew that God used him to start that church in a very seedy city, Corinth. He built them up in the faith. Built them up. Just like a like a building. Oikodame. He used his gift to edify them. Look in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, just a couple chapters over. Verse 19. All this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. (laughs) He's still doing this in chapter 12, folks. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your, what? Upbuilding. Edifying. Oikodame. And then he calls them beloved. I do this so that you be built up. That's why I do this. Reminds me of Ephesians. In chapter 4, it speaks about pastors and teachers. In verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. By the way, you have prophets, evangelists, 
apostles were at the very head of that list, and that's what Paul was. And then it goes all the way down to pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, the equipping of the saints to equip them for the work of what? Service. That's really why we meet here, besides glorifying God and praising Him, that's the most important thing. Right underneath that is serving Him then. And that's how we worship God too. So anything that we do is really worshiping God. It starts with out-and-out praise, singing and reading Scriptures and praying and listening to the Word of God and taking communion and praying again and singing over and over and over, right? To the building up of the body of Christ. The oikodame, the edifying. That's what we are here for today. That you be built up. You want to know why? Because you can get torn down through the week. You ever been t- felt like you were torn down? I hope when you walk out of here, you feel belt, built up because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That's what we want, don't we? So that we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So, the stature of Christ. That's where He's bringing us. That's what Paul was doing. Edifying. They would manifest fruit. It would impact the souls. Impact the cities, the neighborhoods, the nations, the churches. That's the idea of edification. Building up. So as a pastor teacher builds you up, you then in turn... Take it and build up others. That's just the way it works. You're here to serve, right? So we'll get a little application there, don't we? And then he says, not tearing down. Paul says here, I was here to build you up and not for destroying you. And that's what evidently the false teachers were saying, right? This is a difficult passage as you read this and then... You say, well, no, it's falling right into place. Well, good. But as you go through here, you can see some things that are laid out. And you go, what? Build up, not destroying. Remember what they've been saying. Uh, Jesus said something like this, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. We are His temple. You destroy His temple, God will destroy you. That's what Jesus is saying. Paul could legitimately claim that he was the one who had the authority, the true authority. He had built the church. He started the church all by God's Word, by Holy Spirit. And he was not destroying it. Why would anybody who builds up somebody be told, or it's been told about, that he is tearing you down? Isn't that frustrating to hear that? It's very divisive. And it disturbed and was so divisive that many people were believing those flamboyant people. Paul didn't have the flamboyance. He didn't draw them outwardly. He drew them with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So, he wasn't there to tear them down. He was not endangering them. He's building them up. But I will tell you, here's one thing he did destroy. Back up in the same chapter, and 
The first six verses we dealt with a couple of weeks, verses 4 through 6, we uh, really concentrated on destroying speculations. Or you remember the fortresses? We are to destroy the fortresses. The speculations, the ideas, the thoughts, the lofty things that are the worldly things, those ideas that people have that are absolutely unbiblical, we are to destroy that kind of thinking. And that's the kind of thinking that Paul was to destroy as he came into Corinth and with all the philosophies that they had. We are to shoot at that with, with cannons and with missiles. Destroy that kind of foundation, that fortress. But Paul wasn't there to destroy the people, was he? So we get the word destroy there uh, in an earlier verse destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations. But then here in Corinthians, it's not the people we destroy, but it's what's in their heads, their minds, their thinking. It needs to be renewed. First of all, to be regenerated if they're not a believer, right? So the Lord gave authority to me, Paul says, for building you up and not for destroying you. I will not be put to shame. So that's why he keeps bringing forth the truth with this authority. He says, it's not for hurting you. Don't believe that. Okay, with me so far with this? He lives to edify others. That Okay, let, let's bring that into application for us. Okay, that's Paul, but he's an apostle. And we don't have that kind of authority. No, we don't have an apostolic authority. What we do have is a servant's heart. Because that's what God gives all Christians. It's just that some of us need to work harder at it. All of us do. A servant of the Lord lives to edify others. To esteem others higher than ourselves. Philippians chapter 2 says. We are lower than them. But... My speculations and lofty thoughts like to put me a little bit higher and to look down, right? That's what we have to die to. There's a cost to Christianity. The cost is to die. To die. When you die, you edify others. So, a servant of the Lord, that's what He does. So we've seen two points already. We still have a long section to uh, to finish out here. I think we're doing okay. Verse 9, For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you <laughs> by my letters. Here's our sarcasm. I don't wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters, for they say His letters are weighty and strong. But His personal presence is unimpressive and His speech contemptible. That will lead us into verse 10. They're linked together, but let's, let's just hit on 9 and as we go on through here. False teachers, they came in playing like they were the good guys and they, they just kind of start rubbing out Paul as he is gone. And they're the compassionate, tolerant ones. They're the nice guys. Paul says, I don't want to seem to terrify you by my letters. I know I wrote a severe letter to you, okay? That's why I'm not there right now. I'm waiting to see how that went. (laughs) 
I don't want to come in there confronting you again. He confronted their sin. Is that unloving? To confront one when there truly is sin? No, it's loving. If we're not trying to just get at them, just to get... No, it's because there's sin there so that they would be built up. And the word for terrify you is the word phobeo, which we get our word phobia, which means fear. Terrifying. So there is an extra little part to that Greek word as we get the word um, fear, phobia. It kind of amplifies it. Um, so it's um, there's an intensification. Paul says, no, I'm not going to scare you into submission. You better do this or I'm going to tell God and He's going to, I'm going to sick Him on you. Right? It's not going to come in and rip at them to make them scared or to rule them by fear. That's what authoritarians do, don't they? They don't want to put the fear into you. Paul says, no. I do not wish to seem as if, as if I would terrify you by my letters. And, and we'll see that as we roll on here. Let's go, just in 2 Corinthians, let's go through uh, just a few verses that support along with that in chapter 3, verse 2. You might remember this. You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You are our letter. You're in our hearts. That's really what I want to amplify there. What we're doing is we're looking at the love of Paul. And usually people don't put those two words together. Paul, strong. Doctrine. But Paul, love. Gentle, compassionate. Humble. Grace. How often does he say that? And yet he's an authority, the apostle, but he doesn't like to use that unless he has to, like coming, or bringing the letter to the Galatians. <laughs> That's another thing there. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But here, we see his love. We keep on going to chapter 7, verse 2 and 3. Look at the love that Paul has for these Corinthians. These people with that terrible background. Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together, to live together. Well, there's another soft passage, isn't it? <laughs> Come to condemn. You're in our hearts. I love you, brethren. Chapter 11, verse 11. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. I mean, He appeals to God, the judge right there, and He says, God knows I love you. Are you thinking that I don't love you? Have you ever said that to your kids? <laughs> Has anybody ever said that to you? God knows I love you. Chapter 12, verse 15. This is the heart that Paul has. It's very much like Christ. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? 
the more I love you, the less you love me. Is that right? I'll expend myself for your soul. I'll die for you. Greater love has no man have than this to lay his life down for his brother. That's what he did. He did all the way through his ministry till finally God says, okay, now you're coming. You're coming to me. That's what he did. That's how he served all the way through. I think that's rather incredible. You think Paul has a heart for these Corinthians? think he has love for them? The true teachers will give their life for their people. So let's bring this into application. So, da-da-da-da-da. A servant loves others and will never do anything to hurt them. That's what Paul's saying here in our 2 Corinthians 10. He wasn't there to destroy them, right? And he says, I'm not terrifying you by my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong. He gets away from you and then he really blasts you. Yeah, he's really kind to your face. He gets out there, look at that letter, look how strong it was. Yeah, it was severe. There was some really evil sin that was happening in the church. And so, they're weighty and strong letters, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Who is he? This guy's nobody. Listen to the authority that he's trying to get. Oh, we're afflicted sometimes by the snare of big numbers, statistics that people will put up. Oh, that ministry's doing great because look at how many people they have. Look how many people, look how much money they bring in. We start looking at the outward things and that could be good. It could be bad. They're a mega church. They've got to be right. Could be. Maybe not. Yeah, but man, that place is amazing. You ought, to, you ought to see how great it looks on the outside. It's just overwhelming. You get inside. And, oh, it's like heaven. Drawn by the outward. A desire for entertainment. People have the desire to like things that grab people outwardly. You wouldn't believe how great it was. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. This is Paul. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I didn't come with an outward look or speech, a superiority over you. I knew nothing but Jesus Christ crucified the whole gospel so he appeared weak to them now paul is not a weak individual but as far as bringing the gospel like even today i have to be in a sense not shaking physically but shaking spiritually knowing that folks it's the greatest privilege but it's the greatest responsibility anyone can ever have is to bring the Word of God to people who are waiting to hear the Word of God. And I have to be correct. And I have to bring this with 
accuracy and clarity that you will know what I'm saying. Not saying things that are going, wow, that's going to leave me hanging. I don't know what that is, but it makes me want to, you know, really search it out. Well, that, that's good. It should make you want to. But a teacher brings truth. He doesn't leave you hanging. He wants to make sure that you understand that it's very clear. Not bringing mysteries to people, but bringing truth. So, um, that outward aspect Paul is not into. And whenever they say his speech is contemptible, uh, it's kind of like using our slang word, I guess you could say. A speech is concerned. It, it's just a big fat zero. <laughs> His speech is ridiculous. That's what the false teachers are saying. His personal presence is not impressive. How can that guy be a, a, a leader and being an apostle, the way that he looks and the way that he talks? Now remember, Paul came from the greatest school and the greatest teacher. Believe me, it wasn't that he was stupid. He's highly intellectual. He was a Pharisee. He was raised up. He knew his stuff in the Old Testament probably better than anyone did. The thing is, they're using these things to get at him. They're using everything they can to get the people to distrust him. He's been described by people as being short and insignificant. Some have even called him, this is terrible, but an ugly little Jew, it's been said. He also had a, a little eye problem, ophthalmia, how do you pronounce that? Uh, Paula and Thudia said this, going back, here's a quote. Paul was a man, small of stature, with a bald head, crooked legs, and a good state of body. <laughs> that means, okay, he was healthy, but he's got these eyebrows that are meeting and uh, his nose is somewhat hooked. Okay, he's short, he has crooked legs, he's bow-legged. And he's short and he's bald. I'm tall and I'm bald. Got one on Paul, I guess. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'm even bow-legged, Here's the Assyriac of the Apostle Paul. Here's a description here. You ready for this one? He's a man of middling size. His hair was scanty. There's the baldness. Evidently, you know, he had a little bit of hair, but not much. And his legs were a little crooked. And his knees were projecting or far apart. <laughs> so, I don't know how accurate that is. All I can tell you, there must be maybe something to it. And somebody else said, he had large eyes and his eyebrows met. You know those eyebrows that are unibrows? That's what he has. At least they say. And his nose was somewhat long. That's different accounts from different people. Whatever it's worth, I don't know if that's accurate. It doesn't even matter, does it? The thing is, if he did look like that, who cares if he's carrying the precious truth of the gospel and it converts people to Jesus Christ? Who cares what he looks like? But if you have to look like Saul, King Saul, who was tall, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, maybe, who knows, 
and he's got the stature, he's got the look, a kingly look, people are going to go after him nine times out of ten over that little scanty guy, scanty-haired guy with bow-legged look and uh, whatever else goes with this. I mean, he's short and he's got the unibrow and everything. If that all be true, who, who are people going to pick for president? They're going to pick the guy that looks really like a presidential matter. And so, you, you, this is what they're doing with Paul. He has this aura, a demeanor, his persona. That's really what they're saying about this guy. He's a wimpy little guy. He crawls out of town. He gets a little bit of somebody flacking him a little bit. You know, he gets offended and he runs off. That's what he's like. <laughs> we know better than that, don't we? They're saying he lacks the power of a great leader. He lacks the looks. People love to go after the outward look, the buildings, the uh, charismata of the leaders. Certain things that people go after. Saying that he was weak. What were they saying? We are the strong ones. You need to follow us. Matthew 20, verse 25. Jesus spoke about leadership. He says, You know that the leaders of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. That's called dominant dictatorship. That is not to be in the church. Well, that's what these guys really wanted. And they're saying, Paul didn't have that dominant dictatorship. In the pagan world, a leader was somebody who was a dictator or a demagogue. They stood out. Of course, they had their heads put on coins. <laughs> Paul could have wielded the sword as he came into Corinth. Man, he could have come in there with his powerful leadership and authority. He could have done that. He could have done the kind of guy he was before. I got a feeling we wouldn't like Paul, who was then known as Saul, little Saul, at that time before he became a Christian. Would you like to have been around him? I don't think I would have liked him at all. Arrogant and prideful. Boy, did God knock him off the horse, literally. That's what he's doing to his folks to be servants. I'm telling you, we are to be humbled every day. More and more and more and more. And you say, well, I've been humbled enough. You don't look how old I am now. He's still humbling us. Matter of fact, the more we lose health, the more humbled we become. <laughs> we fight different things, don't we? God's teaching us all the way through, isn't He? Paul doesn't control them with the power of his personality that he once had or his intellectual skill that he had, or his verbal capacity. I'm sure he could have been a... He was a tremendous speaker. The rhetoric, the oratory, the slickness of him, the personality that he could have been, the fanciful style that he could have presented, it, the fanciful lifestyle, the dominance, the polished tongue. Paul opened his mouth the Word of God took effect on people's lives who were the called. 
He spoke with clarity and simplicity, but yet with depth, great depth. So, there's our number four. That is not looking at spiritual things in a fleshly way. More and more we need to get away from being impressed by the outward and look to see what's really there. That's quite a lesson right there, isn't it? Verse 11, Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. You know what he does there? Turns that around, he says, okay, the way my letters are, I am still that same person even when I'm here. Even though that may sound really tough, yet you're getting the tough and the loving Paul here. This is the way we are. This is us. We're not somebody different when we write the letters. He's talking about consistency. He's talking about being constant. Do you think Paul was a hypocrite? No. That's kind of what he's saying here. Do you think he's a fake? Do you think he's a phony? Do you think he's the same man from afar as he was right in the very presence of them? He never wavered from what Christ presented. What Christ had made him. He never wavered from that. That was God's work in him. So he was utterly consistent in everything and in everywhere. He was the same man of God. That is called integrity. So we as Christians are to have that same consistency, the constancy. So we're taking an example of Paul and yet today we're looking at what is kind of a difficult passage and still yet we are to have that same characteristic, aren't we? Whatever we say, that's who we are. Integrity. Staying constant with that. Consistent. When we're at work, we're consistent. The next section, 12 through 18, is the last point. It's dealing with humility. And this is what we close on. Back in chapter 3, verse 5 in 2 Corinthians. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. We're not, we're not adequate at all. But in Christ, we are adequate. We can do these things in Christ. And so this is really what Paul is doing here. That, that kind of sums it up. He had no confidence in the flesh whatsoever. So if anybody thinks that he's boasting and bragging about how great he is and everything, that's not the case. It's further from that. So he doesn't compare himself with others. That's what these false teachers were doing. Verse 12, he says, For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. You know what their measuring point was? Themselves. You can't lose with that. You're 100%. You'll get an A plus every time. 4.0. Matter of fact, today, 
4.3? How does that work? I don't know. <laughs> Extra credit? I mean, perfect, you know. These guys compared themselves with themselves and they were absolutely perfect. That's what Paul's saying. The word measure there is canon. Which we get, we have a canon. It's the standard, uh, it's the rule. The Word of God. The New Testament. It's built on the, the canon. It's the measuring. It's the objective standard, right? When you've got those uh, manuscripts. Put them together and we have this Bible today. It's object objective standard. These guys, um, in their sphere of ministry, as far as they're concerned, they were at the top, man. They had a 4.8 out of a possible 4. These guys were good. They're commending themselves. You see how Paul is saying this, you know? Verse 13, But we will not boast beyond our measure... They're boasting, but we're not going to go over and above what we really are, but within the measure of the spear which God apportioned to us. God gave them a certain sphere where they were supposed to go, what they were supposed to do, how they were to do it. It was as a measure to reach even as far as you. He gave us the privilege of coming all the way to Corinth. We came there because He gave that to us. There's no limit to the claims that they were making though. Paul says we'll never speak beyond our measure. We'll never minister more than what God has given to us. And he's saying this and as he goes on through the next few verses, that's why this last part goes pretty quick even though it's 12 through 18. Um, even the false preachers were notorious for boasting. You've heard of those guys saying, hey, we had 300 people saved last night. We had 1,000 people saved last night at our camp meeting. And you know, people might have come down the aisle. But are, are you sure that many... God can do that. He could have saved every last one of them. I, I don't doubt the fact that He can. But I'd hear that so often. People come in to you know the my store where I worked and they'd tell you all the neat things and hey we had twenty three people heal last night in our healing service and um, you know how, how do you measure that? Well great God God does it I'm I'm glad to hear that God can do that. Did he did he do that? You know and of course some of it is how could how could you tell anyway? We're talking about things that are um, you know, there can be spiritual healings they, they might be talking about. Sometimes it's physical healings. Was there any blindness healed? Was there um, somebody who uh, was deaf and now he can hear? I mean, God can do that. But just to have services to do that, that's not the norm. That is A miracle is absolutely something that is supernatural out of the norm. God does it, but He doesn't do it our own whim. People be bragging about those kind of things, and then you'd 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 talk to them the next week. How, hey, how's so and so? You know that uh, got saved. Ah, uh, well, I hadn't seen him in the last few days. Um, kind of went back to what he was doing, but you know, uh, see, were they really saved? No. You know, so I, I used to hear that all the time. That's the reason I say that. You've probably heard it too. People boasting about, and and by the way, they're usually not saying. Yeah, you should see. You should see what God is doing. It's about what they did. Hey, I saved that guy. I'd hear that kind of terminology. He, he was saved through me, you know. And um, you know that's that's that kind of boasting. This is real. This this happens today. Um, and they were saying that, you know, he didn't 
he shouldn't have come there. That, that was not his sphere. He had no business coming here to Corinth. He needs to stay back there where he came from. You know, He needs to go back to Tarsus or Jerusalem or somewhere there. You know, he doesn't belong here in Corinth. Um, that's what the teachers were doing, the false teachers. They're bragging on their achievements, taking credit for things that they never even achieved. They're taking credit for what Paul had done in, in Christ's ministry. And so we read this here, uh, verse 14, for we are not overextending ourselves. We're not going and saying things above and beyond or, or going out to, and doing ministries that God didn't send us to. We're not going to go to other churches or, or to other towns where the gospel has already been preached. Paul always had that standard. I'm not going to go there that has already been started by another man's ministry. He went to where it had not been. What did they do? They went to where Paul had started the ministry. We are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the Gospel of Christ. We were the first to come here. Do you see what he's saying there now? We were the first ones to bring the Gospel. Corinth had never heard the Gospel ever. We were the first there. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors. You see how it follows? It just back at what he just said. But with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere. As you're growing, it will be seen that we were sent here. It's within our sphere. Enlarged even more by you. That means that ministry, even though Paul's not going to be there, it can be enlarged as they go out to other towns or in Corinth as more and more become saved as they preach. Maybe a hundred at a time could be saved. That can happen. But he says, I went to where I was supposed to go. And I didn't go where I was not supposed to go. So he didn't build upon another man's foundation. He didn't poach on other men's, I guess you can say, ministries. He was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Always moving there. Anyway, he says in verse 17. Well, did I read 16? So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you. Yeah, I've already talked about it. I didn't read it. And not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. If somebody else has started it, I'm not going to say that my ministry started that or look what we did with them. And he says in 17, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. Capital letters. You look at that verse 17. You turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9. Verse 23. And this is the song we sang this morning. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me. That's really what we have to boast about. We know Christ. 
We understand Him. He knows me. That He's the Lord. Loving kindness, justice, righteousness. I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Paul says, self-praise is absolutely worthless. God's praise is absolutely glorious. Psalm 115, verse 1. You guys know this. You may not know it as you're turning there. Then as we read it, you'll go, oh, I love this verse. This is one of my favorite ones. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory because of Your loving kindness, because of Your truth. That's what we do, why we do it. It's all about the glory. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 1 Corinthians 10, 29, 31. And whatever you do, eat, drink, whatever, do it to the glory of God. Right? In verse 18, we close with this. For it is not He who commends Himself that is approved. That's what those apostles had been doing. They were approved by men. But He whom the Lord commends. The word for approved is dokimos. It's for the purpose of showing what is true. What is right. The ultimate standard is not my approval. Their ultimate standard was themselves. (laughs) Themselves. Other people. Not even my wife, my friends, my church. The approval means nothing if it is not of God. I can have all sorts of approval from people, but it doesn't matter. It's the approval of God. He whom the Lord commends. Whitfield, George Whitfield once said this, other men may preach the Gospel better than I, better than I can, but no man can preach a better Gospel because there's only one Gospel. And I, I like that thought of Whitfield because I can stand here saying there's a lot, many, 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 many multitudes of men who can preach the Gospel better. But what I've had the privilege of this morning is preaching the best thing that we can preach. That's the Gospel. And in a text that doesn't look like it's there, do you see the Gospel in it after we've read through this really kind of a hard-to-understand text and one that most people wouldn't touch? That's why you don't get cheated when you do expository because you have to touch on every element. I wouldn't have spoken this. I wouldn't have chosen this text if I was just choosing text. I wouldn't go for this. The Lord makes us stay where we're supposed to be. And for that, I'm thankful. And as we dig for those jewels, we say, oh, This is what a true servant is. Paul's a true servant. Do you see all those points? This is how we become better servants too. You have all those same characteristics because you're in Christ if you're of Christ. It's just that we want to make them better, don't we? Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your truth. Thank You for Your Spirit who will take this truth and make us more like Christ. As we walk out of here, Lord, we take this Gospel. May it not just spill out on the steps, but that we will take the seed not in our own lives or family lives, but to whoever is in need of this Savior who makes people servants 
in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.